Well, we're going to go to the Word today, and the Word's always rich and full, and I love the Word of God. I'm telling you, I was a little kid. My, my parents bought me a, um, the uh, Living Bible. Does anybody remember the Living Bible? It's a paraphrase, not a translation. And, and oh my goodness, I, I remember as a kid just having an insatiable appetite for the Word. And I believe that was just something from the Lord that he put on my heart. And I would just read that Bible every night before I went to bed. Because the Word's living and alive and powerful and transformative and, and healthy and, and wonderful. And this, everything... Everything about God's word. Jesus speaks word, and the Bible says his words are spirit, and they are life. Did you hear that? They're spirit, and they are life. So we're going to hub around that. But I was, I was reading this week that one of the largest online uh, used bookstores is, is abebooks.com. And so they were talking about the, all the things you can find in books. And so at first I think about what can we find in books? We can find, if, if you're a fiction reader, sometimes you know a, a good writer can take you to the other side of the world or to other planets when they write because they're so good. You, you can learn history and you can learn philosophy and theories and ideas and self-help and, and all kinds of really cool stuff is, is packed in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of books that have been written. But when I was reading this, they said, we're not talking about that. We're talking about stuff we've pulled out of used books that's been sent to us. I thought, that's fascinating. Like a, a baby's tooth. That's interesting. Because when they do get these used books, they have to look and make sure they're even, you know, capable of selling them. Uh, uh, 1879 birth certificate. That's kind of interesting, you know. It would be kind of cool to go through that. Well, except sometimes they find bugs and insects in them, but, you know, the other stuff. How about this? A, um, a rookie... Babe Ruth baseball card. Wow. I wonder if the person who found it got to keep it I, or went to, probably went to the company. Um, oh, one book had 40 $1,000 bills in it. Now, for those who say there's no such thing, I do want you, there is such a thing as a $1,000 bill. It got out of circulation in the mid-1960s to the end of 1960s, somewhere around there. So if you ever find a $1,000 bill, don't think, oh, this is bogus and throw it away. Do not do that. Take it to the bank. They'll give you $1,000 for it, and they'll take it out of circulation. Or you can auction it because collectors find that's a unique bill. They'll pay you more than $1,000 to get that bill. So if you're sitting here and saying, oh, my goodness, I threw away a $1,000 bill one time thinking it was a fake. Well, sorry to tell you that, but uh, get over it. We're going to move on. Um, well, it's just all kinds of things. Um, they found uh, uh, valid driver's license in them. I think my favorite thing, I just kind of picture this. I don't know why. This is how I picture it. This is my favorite thing because I picture this guy or this gal. They're eating breakfast, but they're an avid reader. So they're sitting there, and they're, they're eating their eggs and their toast and their bacon, and they're reading. Then they look up, and they realize it's time for school, work, whatever. And so they say, I can't lose my place. This is what they found in a book, a slice of bacon. So right in there, but it makes kind of a good bookmark, other than the greasy side of it, it makes kind of a good bookmark. So for those of you who are bacon lovers who thought, I can't think of anything else to do with a piece of bacon, now you know. It's a wonderful bookmark, except for the grease it leaves behind. They found that in a book as well. So all kinds of interesting stuff found in books. There's lots of interesting stuff found in the Bible. Interesting tidbits of facts. Uh, uh, there was a guy with, with 12 fingers and 12 toes in the Bible. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Ezekiel saw a wheel inside a wheel. Now, no one really knows what that is, but if you're a space alien lover, you know that was a spaceship he saw, okay? I mean, by the way, that's not what the Bible says, but I'm just saying that a lot of people say that. Um, 
King Og, a giant, a, a king of Bashan, uh, he had a bed that was 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. Now, I was just talking uh, Larry, and we were talking about in Sunday school class when I stepped in, about bed sizes. Back a few years ago, uh, we got a king-size bed. Now, I don't need no king-size bed. I keep telling Darlene, we just need a twin bed. That way we're close, and, you know, we're... And when we got that king bed, I remember one night I woke up and I reached over and thought, oh, man, she must have got up. I looked up. She's still over there. That's how big those things are. <laughs> My arm couldn't even reach her. She's over there. So, uh, but, you know, 13 by 6 would even be bigger than that. So we've got a lot of interesting things in the Word, but the most powerful thing in the Word is not the, the interesting little tidbit facts about, you know, bed sizes and, and six fingers on a hand, but it's the truth, the life-giving truth that's held and contained in the Word of God, which can transform our lives. The Bible says it's, it's able to save our souls. And so we're going to talk about the eternal Word of God. The eternal Word of God. We're talking about how we looked a few weeks ago that we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So if you become a Christian, you've been translated from the, the dominion of darkness, the Bible says, into the kingdom of Jesus. And we need to understand how our kingdoms work. Jesus told the parable that there was a person who wasn't a believer, and he was shrewd in how he dealt with his people. And Jesus said at the end of that parable, he says, people of the world are more wise in how they deal with their own system, their own people, than children of the light. So I thought, we children of the light, I'm to learn how our system works. So last week we talked about faith. This week we're going to talk about the eternal word. Because one of the main Christian doctrines, one of the main foundational truths of Christianity is this, God's word is forever settled in heaven. It's absolute and it's fixed. Now you may say, I'm a Christian, I don't believe that. Well, that's possible, but Christianity teaches that God's word is fixed and absolute. So what we have is, in the world, when I say the world, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, streams and rivers and grass and trees. I'm talking about the world's system, the world's philosophy, how the world thinks. Well, people who don't know Jesus as their Savior and don't believe the word of God is valid have a system that they think. And by the way, I just want you to notice, doesn't mean they're evil and awful and horrible people. You may have an atheist who's a friend of yours that's one of the nicest people you ever met. I have no problem believing that at all, so I'm not trying to vilify everybody that's not a believer and doesn't believe the word of God. But I am telling you that when you have the mindset of the world and the mindset of the culture, then you don't have a rock-solid true north to set your life on. You just don't. Because it's ebbing and flowing if you don't have the word as your solid rock. Because the culture and the world bases their opinions and their life and their compass, they point it north, based upon basically two things. One is feelings. How do I feel? And the other is what I individually and personally believe. And so I'm just telling you, feelings and your individual personal beliefs ebb and flow and change, and, and it's just not a good foundation for establishing a life. So God's word is true north. Now, we still want to understand God's word. We want to study it. We want to look at it. If we read something kind of crazy, you might stop and go, that seems kind of odd. And so you can look at the whole scripture and try to figure it out. Like, like for instance, I can take you to a verse in the Bible that says Jesus is of the devil. You go, That's in the Bible? Yes, it is. Is it true? No, it's not true. Jesus is not of the devil. What happened was Jesus was going around. The people started looking and listening to Jesus. They say, he speaks as one with authority. 
Oh my goodness, he doesn't just talk the talk. He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's curing leprosy. He's walking on water. He's obeying the winds and the waves, and they obey him. He's casting out demons. He's doing all this crazy stuff. And all of a sudden, their, their attention towards the Pharisees and the teachers began to shift towards Jesus. Wasn't yours? I mean, you see somebody who's, who's raising the dead, healing the sick, walking on water, teaching with authority, and they began to shift. Well, the angry jealous Pharisees said, he just does that because he's in cahoots with the devil. He, he, he's doing that by the prince of demons. Well, that's not true. So I, I do understand you read something, you've got to say, what's the context? What all's going on here? What, what, what does the scripture say as a whole? Well, we know this. The scripture says this as a whole, that Jesus in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Later on the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh, became human, and dwelt among us. And we beheld the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is God wrapped in a human body who has ended up giving his life and rising from the dead and bringing salvation to all who would depend upon him. So I get it that those who reject God, they reject God as the, the only absolute for truth, and he has infinite wisdom. I get it how they're, you know, adrift at sea when it comes to ethics and morals and understanding life. But what saddens my heart deeply is that I believe many Christians are in that same boat, floating around here, floating around there. The Bible says that we can come to a place of maturity in the Word where we're no longer tossed here and there and thrown here and there by every wind and wave of doctrine, a doctrine's a teaching that just comes and goes and comes and goes. So... We're in a culture, and by the way, this is not new. For those of you, I mean, we're all prone to say this. Oh, my goodness, the world's never seen sin like this. The world's never had problems like this. We live in a very unique culture. Now, I do get this. Some of the issues we deal with are unique compared to other cultures, but the underlying concept is not unique. People, humanity has always wanted to do what they want, when they want, how they want, where they want, with whom they want, and don't tell me what to do. Okay, that's in me, you, all of us. And it's always been there. And so God comes on the scene and says, I got some stuff that can bring you life. And so we look at it and say, but is that line up with what I want? So what ends up happening is you have a, a culture, a system which has always been there, a world way of thinking that says, I got to be led by what I feel. And what ends up happening is we will, this is, this is truth. You, you know this if you watch the news or talk to people. If something you feel violates every one of the sciences that are out there, if something you believe violates every one of the sciences, if something you believe violates theology, their knowledge of God, if what you believe violates sociology and decades, centuries of social norms, we will throw it in the trash if it comes against what you feel and what you believe individually. Well, that's not a good way to do life. Christianity believes and teaches that the word of God is absolute truth. So let's look at that, John 17, 14 through 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have given them your word. So the word of God is eternal, established, and fixed. I've given them your word, this is Jesus talking, and the world has what? Hated them. So I'm not going to say everybody's going to be excited about you loving Jesus and loving the word of God. Because here Jesus said, I gave them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. 
Now, I want to tell you that verse. It's up there in blue on the screen. This is out of the Message Bible, which was a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Here's how he words verse 14, Jesus speaking again. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. Let's read on. Jesus speaking, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, either, as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by the truth. Now, sanctify is a big churchy word. Let me tell you what it means. It means set apart for godly purposes. Set apart for holiness. God sets you apart. Now, I've taught this before, so I won't teach, preach two messages today. But in God's Old Testament tabernacle, there were utensils that were used in the ministry that was done in the temple. And this is going to be an oversimplification, but I want us to get it. So, so God says, okay, I need, some, I need a spoon, or I need a fork, or I need, I need this item. I need a curtain. I need whatever. Well, spoons, forks, curtains are common everywhere. But God would take these utensils, and they would sanctify them, and they would become holy. Now, what's any more holy about the spoon in the temple than the spoon in your kitchen. Nothing that the spoon did. Are you with me? It's what God did. Same way as we become believers. Well, what makes you holy? Are you so good? I didn't say I was so good. I just said God, God sanctified me. And so here the Bible says, sanctify them, set them apart for my use, set them apart for holiness, sanctify them by the truth. Okay, well, what's the truth? Well, he answers it. Your word is truth. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Father, your word is truth. Now, I get it that you and I are constantly growing in knowledge and wisdom. Whether you're in first grade, starting to learn, whether you're a brand new Christian and you're starting to study and understand the things of God, we're all in transition in our growth pattern. That's fine. We're just growing. Just keep growing. Just keep moving forward. Keep growing. Don't get discouraged. Just keep growing. So I get that we're always changing. Somebody say, well, Tracy, you know, things are always changing, and, and you don't believe what you believed 10 years ago. I do not. I have changed. But here's what I want you to know. God hasn't changed. God's not saying, oh, my goodness, I just thought of something I never thought of before. God's knowledge and truth and wisdom is fixed. He's not saying, Tracy, I just don't expect people to live in 2022 like they did in 1922 because I've learned so much in the last 100 years. Now, when God established his word as truth, he already possessed all knowledge and wisdom. So he's not transforming. We are. And if we don't like something in the Bible, that's me, you, whomever, and I've read stuff, I go, oh, I don't really like that that well. I've never had God just speak to me from heaven and say, Tracy, does that idea offends you if it does i can rewrite the scripture for you tracy i'd be happy to edit my my word no he, he never says that he never comes and consults me about whether i like something in the scripture or don't like something in the scripture because his word is eternal and it is fixed and that is just a basic understanding of christianity now let's look at psalm 119 88 through 89 in 88 Verse 88 in Psalm, it says, in your unfailing love, it just, I just want to pause there, it's not my message today, but can you just receive that? God has unfailing love for you. <sighs> Isn't that nice? Well, I don't know, I didn't behave well today. 
Uh, it doesn't say conditional love, does it? It says unfailing love. Unfailing love. In your unfailing love, preserve my life. Why? That I may obey the statutes of your mouth. That I may obey the statutes of your mouth. Your word, Lord, is eternal. Those are the statutes out of God's mouth. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now, I do run into people on occasion that they're not real lovers of God's word or of the Lord and maybe don't even believe in God, and they'll say, we, we don't need the superstitious, crazy book of the Bible anymore because we have science, and science is Lord. Well, let me tell you this. I don't mind science at all. I love science. God created science. But I do want to tell you this. I like good science, not bad science. Do you know, and this is one thing I, that, that perturbs me, and then I celebrate, and then I get perturbed again. Science will come out with an idea, and it will say, this is absolutely concrete fact. If anybody says, I don't really buy that, then science tells you, then you are an uneducated idiot who doesn't know anything because everyone who has a brain knows this is true. That's what perturbs me. But then 50 years later, they'll say, you know that thing we told you was true? We discovered it ain't true. It's not true. So you can, you know, all the things we bullied you about for 50 years, it's not true. We got some new truth. Now here's, I get blessed by that because they're willing to say, we were wrong, we messed up, everything we said for half a century was wrong. Here's what perturbs me again, though. But, then this, but this is the new truth. And if you don't believe this, you're an uneducated idiot. And I go, okay, could you calm down? I mean, you've, you've failed enough at this that you ought to be a little more gracious. But I do appreciate that they are willing to say we were wrong. Now, the given wisdom of the day back in the Tour de France in like the 1920s was if you were hitting a hard stretch of road and you were climbing hills, this was the medical science of the day. Did you want to climb those hills better? Did you want to get more traction? Then what you need to do was smoke a cigarette. They believed smoking a cigarette opened up the capillaries and the blood vessels in your lungs. It caused you to inhale more thoroughly. So let's look at these people. This is the 1920s. Here they are. The one, I don't know if you can notice, this guy's actually lighting up for his buddy there, and this guy here is smoking because they're hitting a tough terrain in the Tour de France, and they need some help. Now, if you would have said, I don't believe that here, they would have said, what do you think we are? We're sports medicine geniuses. Where would you get your degree in sports medicine? Well, I don't have a degree in sports. That's what I thought, you idiot. This is what works. Now, do you know what would happen today if I said to one of the top writers, hey, I got a six I got a 20-pack of cigarettes here for you. And, man, when you hit tough, you just start smoking. You know, smoke. I got you camel non-filters because you are going to really need that. I don't think anybody would say, that's a great idea. They would say, you're an idiot. I'm not going to smoke a camel. Do they still make lucky strikes? I remember I had a, a teacher that, like, he always had some lucky strikes here in his, in his pocket. Uh, so science changes. So God didn't die and make science God. And I want to say this again, I love good science, just not all science is good. So we need a standard. We need an absolute. We ha if we're going to have a solid foundation to build our lives on, we need something that's solid, not something that's changing from day to day. We know this just looking at our culture over the years. 
cultures change. What was, what was acceptable and popular in the 1920s was not acceptable and popular in the 1950s and 60s, and what was acceptable and popular then is not acceptable and popular in the 2020s, and so you get the idea, it's forever changing. So we need standards, and actually we don't even want to live in a world without standards. Let's say you decided you've saved up a bunch of money and you heard that you need some gold in your portfolio. So you say, I'm going to buy some gold. Well, it's not a bad investment, I suppose. I guess gold's never been worth nothing, uh, but it'll take you some money. I don't know what the going rate for gold is. It tells you how often I buy gold, uh, but it's a bunch of money. And so if you say, I've saved up all this money and I'm going to go buy 10 ounces of gold. Seriously, can somebody help me? What is an ounce of gold? Fifteen, seventeen hundred. $1,700 an ounce, so you've saved up a pile of money, and you go to buy 10 ounces of gold, and you got your little scale there, and the guy gives you his 10 ounces of gold, and you put it on your scale, and it says six ounces? You go, well, what's going on here? Well, my scale's different than your scale, but we both have our own truth. So just buy the 10 ounces of gold. I know it's six on yours, but it's 10 on mine. We just have different truth because that's a real thing now as people will say, well, you have your truth and I have mine. That's an illogical statement. One of us is right or both of us is wrong, but we're not both right because truth doesn't flux. It's not, it's, it's stable. And so now you could say this would be better language. You got your beliefs and I have mine. That, that's a good way of saying it, but you don't both have truth. And so you would say, I'm not buying six ounces of gold paying you 10 ounces worth of money because you would want a standard. And so what they've done over the years is they've created a, there's a government organization with weights and measures and all kinds of stuff that have standards. And so wherever you go to buy something that it is sold by the weight, I don't know if you know this or not, but those scales are calibrated regularly and they're calibrated not by the owner's idea of what it should be, but by a standard absolute by an absolute, and so they are, they are calibrated so that everybody's ounce is the same, everybody's pound is the same, it's all the same. If we didn't do that, if we didn't have a standard, it'd just be a haven for cheating people all the time, and in fact, that's what happened for many, many years. People got cheated because scales were dishonest. You actually find in the Proverbs that it is sinful and wrong to have a dishonest scale. A scale that doesn't weigh properly. Well, we try to take care of that as best we can in our country and culture and around the world. Now, growing up, and this shows my age, growing up, I was, uh, would turn on the TV now, and then there'd be a talk show host on there named Phil Donahue. And, uh, and by the way, if you never saw Phil Donahue, it's, there's still plenty of talk show hosts out there, so you know what a talk show host is like. In fact, I was speaking at the North Chapel this week, football players and the chapel service, they had a great crowd there. Appreciate those young men. And so I was going to use an illustration, and I thought before I came there, I'm using an illustration of the Beverly Hillbillies. And I thought, most of the Beverly Hillbillies was in black and white. And I was just kind of thinking these 16 and 17-year-olds may not know, but I just tried. I said, has anybody in this room ever heard of the Beverly Hillbillies? One hand went up. And that might have been just because I don't want to say I don't know it, you know. Okay. So I'm just curious. How many of you here have ever heard of the, the TV sitcom, The Beverly Hillbillies? Raise your hand up high. Okay. Got a lot of old people here today. You know, got a, got a lot of old people. Um, <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies. Well, Phil Donahue, if you never heard of him, he's a talk show host. 
I mean, if you want to see Phil Don, you pop a vein and get red-faced, then you start promoting a moral or ethical standard that he did not believe was legitimate. I mean, he would get animated, he'd get excited. Usually it, you know, digressed into, who are you to try to force your morals and ethics on me? And then the standard thing that's often said is, your rights end where my rights begin. That's a fairly logical thing to say. But I want to talk about that for just a second so we can understand the value of the word of God. I am not trying to be philo philosophical here. I want to be logical. Phil Donahue, me, you, every single one of us on planet Earth, we all have an ethical and moral standard, a code of conduct the way we should behave, every one of us. Phil Donahue had a code of conduct, an ethical standard. He's still alive, by the way. He, uh, he has a code of conduct and an ethical standard. Now, when I say, your rights end where my rights begin, I want to tell you what's happening. It's not philosophy. This is, this is logic. That is a standard of absolutes that I absolutely believe you should absolutely accept. It, it's, it's still a standard. And so somebody could say, Phil, who are you to try to impose your beliefs upon me? You say that my rights end where yours begin, but that's not my code of conduct. I work as hard as you. You make a million dollars a year. I make $30,000 a year. And my code of conduct says I can balance out the inequality in income by breaking into your home and stealing $1,000 from you. And there are people who can do that with no moral or ethical problem at all because of where their standard is drawn. You got that? And there would be some who'd say, I do think there's an inequality in income. And maybe that's, and you know what? It's kind of funny because you'll, you'll see like, like I'll steal people from people, but I won't harm them. Okay, well, we're happy for your morals and your ethics. And then, then it would be, I think I might mention this before. You ever watched a mob show? It's really interesting because they're going to kill you. And they're going to do it brutally and violently. But when they go to kill you, your mama's over. And so they go, we can't kill them now that mama's here. We have to wait till mama leaves. Because they have a code of conduct, an ethical standard, that says you can't do that. So everybody's got a code of conduct and ethical standard. The problem is, is where does it come from? Where's the benchmark? Where's the absolute? Who, otherwise, we just all have our own codes of conduct, and we all behave however we want to behave. Where is the standard? Where is the absolute? Where's the calibrating scale that says this is acceptable and this isn't? Now, back many years ago, um, a yard. If you want to know what a yard was back many years ago, here's how you would determine a yard. You ready? There's a yard. I can tell you that that's probably pretty accurate, fairly accurate. But I do know somebody who's 4'8 has a different yard than somebody that's 7'8. Now, if I was going to buy some land, I would get the guy who's nine foot tall to pace off the, the land, you know, because I'd be getting more of it for every yard. So one day, I, I forget which king it was, he came up with a standard, and it would be from the tip of his toe, nose to, the, to his thumb, that's a yard. Well, and if you ever see people, like, I'll, I'll do this if I'm shooting for like three foot or four, I'll uh, hold something here, and 
stretch it out this way, and, that, and then I'll grab again, and I'll grab again. And that, that's pretty, as long as I'm not selling something, that's pretty accurate for me. But we decided we wanted accuracy. And so an inch was calibrated to what an inch was everywhere, and a foot, and a yard, and now it's all very calibrated. And we want that. We want life calibrated, and we want a standard. Well, this cornerstone, this bedrock of Christianity is that the word of God is a standard. It's eternal. It's forever settled in heaven. The absolute standard that we are to live by, that we are to make decisions by, that we can decide what's right and wrong, what's ethical and unethical, what's moral and immoral, what's, what's honest or dishonest. We, we need, and something that's once a standard, and the word of God is the absolute standard. Now, we all kind of like that until you or I find that the standard of the word of God says, don't do this, and my feelings and my desires say, but I want to do it. I know no one's ever been there before, but we have now have this conflict, you know, where it's saying no, and I want to say yes, or it's saying yes, and I want to say no. And so it becomes a place of turmoil in us, what I do. Well, Jesus' word brings life. He did not come up with the standard of how to do life to make you miserable. He came up with a standard of how to do life to bring you life. And Jesus even said that he came to bring life. He said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Now, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure. In fact, he talks about the power of his word in our lives to produce a wonderful life. So, I just decided I would jot down just a handful of things, and by the way, I could make this list ten times longer, easily, from Scripture, but I just decided I would jot down a few things that the eternal word of God brings us. The first one I jotted down is that the eternal word of God brings joy and delight. Joy and delight. We don't think about that because we've so, been so programmed that anything in the word of God is just to rob you of life and steal life from you. And if you started to have a good time, God is quickly there to tell you, don't do that. Here's the standard we think about the word of God. I saw a gentleman the other day, had lost several pounds, and I said, wow, you look a lot thinner. He said, I got diagnosed with, with diabetes. And he said, so I have a new eating program. I said, what is it? He said, if it tastes good, don't eat it. And that was his program. And uh, that's how I think we think about the word of God. The word of God, it won't taste good. But I got to do it because it's good for me. No, the word of God will bring you delight, will bring you joy. The word of God will bring you clear direction. As you say, what should I do here? What, what's God's will? Well, the word of God will bring you clear direction. The word of God will bring you stability. It'll bring you fruitfulness and prosperity. These all have Bible verses to support them. The word of God will bring healing. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them. The word of God, written by the brother of Jesus, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he shows us that the word of God brings freedom and successful blessed endeavors. It actually says this, that when we are doers of the word of God, we will be blessed in everything we do or we'll be blessed in all our deeds. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? We want that blessing. And another one, and again, this is a short list. There could be many, many more. The beloved disciple John writes that the eternal word of God brings effective praying and fruitful living that glorifies God. Those are just a few of the things. 
I want to encourage us this week to examine our lives. And I really want to tell you, people are good at self-examination to beat themselves up. I'm not asking you to beat yourself up. I'm not asking you after self-examination, say, I'm a wretched, horrible person that God can never love or use. We know this. God loves you. He's passionately in love with you. He wants to use you. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, so he's got a plan for you. So get that out of your head. But there's nothing wrong with, with examining ourselves. There was a popular motivational speaker in the 1980s, 90s, and, and I'd say most people my age, would, if they've read any self-help, will know the person. His name's Dennis Waitley. And Dennis Waitley's a very unique speaker. And uh, he talked about organizing and straightening up the clutter in our lives. I never forget, there's a little part in one of his teachings where he says this. This is actually how he speaks to you. This is the pattern of how he speaks. It might drive you crazy. I found it funny and enjoy it. He says, take a look at your car. Take a look at your home. Take a look at your office. Ask yourself this question. What kind of a person would live like that? I never forgot that. <laughs> what kind of a person would live like that? And so I thought, it's true. I look at my desk sometimes and say, what kind of a person would live like this? Uh, so he's challenging us. Get some organization. Get rid of some of the clutter. You know, organize your life. And I thought that was good. So I was thinking about that. crossed my mind this week. And I thought, well, we got to examine our lives. How are we living? How are we behaving? How do we treat people? How are we behaving morally compared to what the Word of God says? And, and quit making excuses for it. You know, let's say you're lacking some money. You work for a big organization. You've figured out how to successfully steal $10,000 and never get caught. And you say to yourself, they'll never miss it. You know, truth is, they probably won't ever miss it. But does that make it right? No, the Word of God says it's not right. So we, we keep aligning our life up with the Word of God. So think about your morals. Think about your ethics. Think how you treat people. Think how you live. Think about what you do. Don't make it a point of beating yourself up. But then you kind of ask yourself this question, what kind of a person would live like that? And you go, okay, well, a Jesus lover really shouldn't live like that, so I'm asking for your help, God. And let me tell you what, I need God's help to do anything successfully as a believer. Absolutely. So I will not stand up before you and say, well, I've just, you know, mastered all this stuff. No, apart from him, I can do nothing I'm still growing in many areas of my life and will till I draw my last breath. I'm not going to get discouraged about that. I'm going to be encouraged that God's so big that I can keep growing in him and keep being blessed and keep becoming more like him. But I do challenge us. We should look at our lives and say, hey, the way I behave at work or school, how I talk, how I treat people, the priorities in my life, my morality, my ethics, my behavior, how, my sexuality, my whatever it is. What, what does God's word say about this? And then I should line up my life with God's word. Now, somewhere in that group, you're going to find something you don't want to line your life up to in God's word because it's saying no and you're saying yes, or it's saying yes and you're saying no. And that's where I believe we just have to pray this prayer. Lord, help me want to want to. Are you ready for that prayer? Help me want to want to. And then there's a beautiful verse where the Bible says that God will cause you both to desire and to do of his good pleasure. And so that's a good prayer too. Say, Lord, I need your help. I need your desire to do what's right, but not just desire. I need your enabling power to do what's right. And God says he'll do that. And I believe that needs to be the examination, what we pray, what we bring before God, because you and I 
we're being transformed every day by the word of God. We've been immediately transformed by Jesus in our salvation. So I want to make this clear. If you are a Christian today, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Oh, you don't know how I lived yesterday. It doesn't matter because it's in Christ, not in your behavior. Should we make excuses for our behavior? Absolutely not. But I don't get kicked out because I had a bad day. My kids had some bad days. You know, I didn't say, I no longer want to associate with you. You're no longer part of the family. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, do I want them to change behavior? Sure. But it doesn't change my love, and it doesn't change God's. So we allow him to transform us. So I want us to pray.